Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. You know, there's something that pastors just absolutely hate. There's more than one thing, but there's one thing in particular, and that's when there is no response to what is preached and taught. (laughs) When there's just no, when there's sleepy eyes and no response. And so when I announced this morning what I'd be preaching on and what would take place in the church, Praise God that there was a response. Much better that there's a response than there's slumber and sleep. That, that is what kills a pastor and his zeal. Right? But a response, even a vehement response, even a strong response in certain circumstances, praise God. Now, let's be humble as we come to the Word of God, and let's learn from it and be taught. There are three, uh, generally when we're approaching scriptures, and in me approaching this topic tonight, I'm going to make three kinds of arguments. The first is the most important, and that's biblical arguments. Okay, If we can't make biblical arguments, then there's, there's uh, the other two, it doesn't matter. Okay, there has to be a biblical foundation for the things that we do in our church, in our lives, and everything. Okay? So, um, so there's biblical, and then there's also historical. It's good to know our history. It's good to look back and be taught by history uh, for several reasons, and I've said these before. You know why, why I study history. Well, the Bible's history, so that's one reason. Another reason is there's nothing new under the sun. All the issues that we think we're dealing with for the first time have been dealt with in previous ages, generally speaking. Transgenderism, I don't know. That might be blazing some new paths that we have to deal with. Okay, there are, but that's sexual perversion at its root, and that's as old as the hills. Okay, so there, but, but we study history because We can stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us as Jesus, as Paul stood on Jesus' shoulders and as Timothy and Titus stood on his. Okay, so there's history. And then there are pastoral arguments, right? Applications, implications that come out of Scripture and history. Um, An example of a pastoral application in history would be the fact that Luther and Calvin vilified the organ, right? May not have had biblical support, but the organ had to get out of the sanctuary because it was the center of idolatry in Roman Catholicism. And so they made pastoral, and I'll call those fatherly decisions, to take an action to move those things out of the way. And so there, they would, I would say there are biblical arguments for, for that action that they took um, and historical, but there were certainly the strongest in that case was pastoral. And so my, my hope is to overwhelm you with arguments, 
Um, so that all you're left with is, yeah, but I don't like it. Okay. Or that's the way we've always done it. Okay. That, that's what I hope you're left with. Now, um, we'll see. In other words, what I hope to do is make arguments so that all you're left with is your feelings, your sentimental feelings, which carry very little weight. Okay. First, before we get to Exodus 20 and the, the command there. The first argument I'll make is this. There is no carte blanche command to have a cross in worship. There is no command in Scripture to have a cross in worship. Okay, There is no carte blanche, just to open you know, however you want, command to have symbols or images in worship. In fact, the predominance of the argument of Scripture is that symbols and images are strictly forbidden in worship. That is the, the overwhelming testimony of Scripture. Okay. Now, that alone, that argument that we don't find a command for there to be a cross, I, I could stop my sermon there. Okay, that would be enough. Right? We're Presbyterian. We believe in the regulative principle of worship, and that means we worship according to what God has positively commanded. Okay? Not we can do whatever he hasn't commanded, but we do those things that he has commanded. So um, that's, that's the Reformed Reformation principle. That was a correction according to Scripture on, on Roman Catholic abuses and idolatries. Okay, what is going to be our standard for worship? Is it going to be the imaginations of men or is it going to be the word of God and the word of God alone? Okay, so so there's no there's no command to to have a cross in the place where you worship or to use it as an aid to worship or as a means to uh, coax up devotion. There is no command like that. Second, the second commandment. Okay, let's turn there. Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. It's also in Deuteronomy 5, 8 through 10. And in this, in this command, they're identical. The wording is exactly the same in both of those. Whereas the wording in the Sabbath command has different basis, different proofs. Okay, so Exodus 20... Four through six, you shall not you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So there, the, the first commandment tells us who to worship, right? You shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment tells us the manner of that worship, how we are to worship God. And what is strictly forbidden, the use of graven images, the use of carved images, the use of symbols made out of wood, placed in worship as an object of devotion, 
And so idols, the, the command has two parts, right? The commandment has don't make them, don't worship them. Okay, two-part commandment. Don't make them, don't worship them. So a lot of people make the argument, um, well, we can make idols, right? we can make pictures of Jesus, just don't worship those idols, right? But that's to, that's to uh, rend asunder the full commandment. It says, don't make, don't worship, okay? Don't make, don't worship. Any, uh, any image brought into worship, right, could lead to idol worship. Any object brought into worship could lead to idol worship, right? It could lead, in fact, to thinking that we're worshiping God through the means of an object that's set before us, okay? If you come from a Roman Catholic background, you get this. You understand this. You you get this in your bones. Likely the reason you won't step foot in a Roman Catholic church is because there's an idol on every corner with candles underneath them and images not only just of things created, but of God himself, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all those things present for the eyes to see, right? And so if you come from that Roman Catholic background, you get this. You... Um, you likely bowed down to idols. You likely went through this process of being told that there's a difference between the kinds of worship of God and the kinds of worship of idols. It's dulia and latria distinction they make. One is veneration. One is, is worship. And we reserve to God alone what is worship, and we only venerate the idols. And what, what did Calvin say about that? Calvin says, he stole it from me because I think I said this before him. That's a difference without distinction. It's a difference without distinction. You venerate a dead piece of wood and you're worshiping. Okay? And, and we'll see in the next scripture um, that worked out. The Westminster Larger Catechism vamps on the second commandment. Now listen to this. This is our doctrine. This is the doctrine of the Presbyterian Church. And it is that since 1640, late 40s. The second commandment, question 107. What is the second commandment? The second commandment is thou shalt not make any graven image and on through the commandment. Question 108. What are the duties required in the second commandment? The duties required in the second commandment are the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath instituted in his word. In other words, the second commandment is the reason that, that the second commandment is the basis of what we call the regulative principle of worship. Bible alone regulates worship, okay? Particularly prayer and, the thanksgiving, and thanksgiving in the name of Christ the reading, preaching, and hearing of the word, the administration and receiving of the sacraments, church government and discipline, the ministry of and maintenance thereof, religious fasting, swearing by the name of God, and vowing unto him, as also the dis- disapproving, detesting, opposing all false worship, and according to each one's place and calling, removing it and all monuments of idolatry. Okay? 
Question 109, what sins are forbidden in the second commandment? The sins forbidden in the second commandment are all devising, counseling, commanding, using, in any wise approving any religious worship not instituted by God himself, the making any representation of God, of all or any of the three persons. Now listen to this. The making of any representation of God of all or any of the three persons either inwardly in our mind or outwardly in any kind of image or likeness of any creature whatsoever. All worshiping of it or God in it or by it. The making of any representation of feigned deities and all worship of them or service belonging to them. All superstitious devices. Corrupting the worship of God, adding to it or taking from it, whether invented and taking up of ourselves or received by tradition from others. Though under the title of antiquity, custom, devotion, good intent, or any other pretense whatsoever, simony, sacrilege, all neglect, contempt, hindering, and opposing the worship and ordinances which God hath appointed. And then question 110, what are the reasons annexed to the second commandment, the more to enforce it? The reason annexed to the second commandment, the more to enforce it, contained in these words, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, are, besides God's sovereignty over us and propriety in us, his fervent zeal for what? His fervent zeal for his own worship. Whose worship is this tonight? Is it your worship? No, it is God's worship. Okay, and his revengeful indignation against all false worship as being a spiritual whoredom, accounting the breakers of this commandment such as hate him and threatening to punish them unto diverse generations and esteeming the observers of it such as love him and keep his commandments in promising mercy to them upon unto many generations. Okay, so, I mean, that is, a, again, it's, it's a lot to take in. But the points that I want to draw out of that is the understanding that the second commandment is the basis of this, this scriptural idea that we should only worship according to the way that he has instituted and told us to worship. And then beyond that, there should be no crafting of images, right? No worship of God by images, symbols, except for the ones that he commands, okay? There are no commands for crosses, but there are commands for other symbols, okay? We'll get to that in a minute. But then the other thing is this. What is also forbidden? The making of images in the mind. And you say crazy, crazy talk. And I say, no, not so much. If you return into your mind... Every time you pray to a picture of Jesus that you saw as a child or to a crucifix that you saw as a child and it's stuck in your brain. And I've been in a chapel where there's a crucifix, right? I've been in that chapel and I still remember that and I pray God gets that out of my head because that is not Jesus, it is not God, it is not the cross, it isn't blood, it isn't body, it isn't anything there, okay? It's wood and paint, Okay, but, but, but what they understood is it was possible to become an idolater in your mind. And I maintain that that is true 
and that is scriptural, and that is not a way that we are to worship the one true living God. I cannot get my pages out of order tonight, so... You notice also that the Westminster Larger Catechism, in, in working out the, the applications of the Second Commandment, said we should not use superstitious devices. Okay, superstitious devices. Another point. Here's the next point. The worship of images is an attempt to worship God in a way that he has not authorized. Using images in worship is an attempt not to, not to necessarily worship that object, but to worship the God of the universe through an object in his world. Okay, this, this point can be made from Exodus chapter 32. Turn there. Exodus 32 is when... The people made a golden calf. Aaron made it. He lied about how it was made. Threw the gold into the fire and boop! There was a calf. Um, he fashioned this idol, right? And, and what is the, what does God say about this? Jump down to verse 7. And the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt. Great way of God God to put it to Moses. Have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and, and have worshiped it and have sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What God brought them out of Egypt? Yahweh brought them out of Egypt. And here they are now claiming that this deity that they formed is the God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. They're using it as a means to get to Yahweh. And Yahweh has already told them, no, you will not use images to get to me. You worship me by the Spirit and in truth, right? You worship me not by images. Those things are forbidden. You may not do this. But, but notice that, that even still, even if the, the end is to worship God, God hates idolatry. Right? God condemns idolatry. It's called whoredom. It's called spiritual adultery all through the Old Testament to worship in this manner. And so to worship God by an image, God takes, you know, even to worship God by an image, God takes it as done to the image itself. God takes it as done to the image itself. Right? Like this calf. Oh, it may, you know, the motives were right. They were worshiping God. They needed that that mediation. And God says, no, no, that's idolatry. That's to worship and bow down to a graven image. So, so an application of this, even if you say a symbol, a Christian symbol, which is a graven image, it's a, just a graven image of something created, it's as if we put a wooden sword or a wooden guillotine 
or a wooden anything up on the wall of the church, it would be the same. It's a Roman device of torture, right? It's something created, right? Even, and so even if you say the symbol helps me to worship God, it, it brings me into the presence of God. It may be a saint, it may be, it may be an idol in the same sense as the golden calf, right? It's God, even if you say you're worshiping God and you need this, this symbol, this image, God, if you are worshiping, may attribute your worship to the idol itself. Another example, another scripture, to make my case that it is a good and healthy and scriptural thing not to have images in worship. The bronze serpent. Turn over to Numbers chapter 21. So this is in the middle of of the difficulties of Moses and the people of Israel and the grumbling and complaining and the judgment of God on that that um, that generation. And uh, twenty one verse four. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden, and the people became impatient because of the journey. <laughs> and the people spoke against God and Moses, Why have you brought us up from the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. God is commanding a symbol to be made. Make a fiery serpent. Set it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. So God commands Moses to make this this fiery serpent, set it up on on a standard, and, um, and the people who look to it would be saved. And Moses made the bronze serpent, set it on a standard, came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. So look, images, symbols in the worship of God. They're saved by looking at this. Well, one, there's an explicit command from God to do this. Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, put it before their eyes. Then, so it's a direct commandment from the Lord. And and here's the amazing thing. Is this bronze serpent mentioned in the New Testament? Where? John 3. John 3, 14 and 15. No one has ascended, and this is Jesus speaking, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. And so that bronze serpent becomes a type of the cross of Christ. Right of, of Jesus being lifted up from the earth on the cross and dying. And those who look to Jesus, right, will be saved. Okay, and so here's, here's this, and so, wow, we're thinking, okay, well, um, maybe, maybe this symbol should be used in worship. 
this bronze serpent, this, this thing, the standard. But turn with me to 2 Kings 18. The bronze serpent makes an appearance. Hezekiah was a reforming king. He did, uh, he reigned over Judah, right? And he, um, he reformed the worship. And here's what happens. <clears throat> now it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that his father had done, he removed the high places, he broke down the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Why? For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. Now, what does Nehushtan mean? It means, it's really dramatic here, a piece of bronze. (laughs) A piece of bronze, Nehushtan, right? And they burned incense to it. They, They... They attempted to worship God through the means of this idol. And Hezekiah, in this section, is being commended, right? His attributes that are good. Hezekiah has sins that he commits later, right? But his attri- he's being commended for having broken this bronze sermon in pieces because it had become an idol, right? Burning incense to it. You know, so, so many, many see this and they reason, well, Moses made an image of God's, by God's appointment. You know, should we set up images? We, we therefore have sanctioned to set up images in our own worship. And that is a bit simplistic. Deuteronomy 4, 10 through 40. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 10, I mean 4, 10 through 40. What is the book of Deuteronomy? The book of, the Deut- of Deuteronomy is the second law. It's the second statement of the law, right? And so um, we're, we're, learning, uh, we're learning about the law from, from the mouth of Moses and from the Holy Spirit. Deuteronomy 4 begins talking about images. So it's, it's taught, teaching us what this second commandment means. So Deuteronomy 4.10 Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, assemble the, people, assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Now, why were they assembled? To do what? They were assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Assembled to hear the word of the Lord. That is key. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. The mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens, darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is the Ten Commandments. 
And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So watch yourselves carefully, since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire, so that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourselves. In what form? In the form of any figure, the likeness of male and female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water below. And beware not to lift your eyes up to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven and be drawn away and worship them and serve them, those which the Lord your God has allotted to all the people under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession as today. And it goes on. I'm going to keep reading. Now the Lord was angry with me on your account and swore that I would not cross the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For I will die in this land. I shall not cross the Jordan, but you shall cross and take possession of this good land. So watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. In the form of anything, don't make a graven image. To worship it. Don't make a graven image to worship me through it as a means to worship me. For why? The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God will not be mocked. God will not be worshipped through images and statues. God will not be mocked. He's a jealous God. And so when he sees his people bowing down before any kind of image, he's jealous of that image. And when God is jealous, what happens? Judgment. When you become the father of children and children's children and have remained in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything, And do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the people, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. There you will serve gods. The work of man's hands, wood and stone which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. Indeed, ask now concerning the former days which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything been done like this great thing or has anything been heard like it? Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard it and survived? Or has a God tried to make to to go to take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs and wonders and by war and by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm? And by great terrors, as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you, 
It was shown that you might know that the Lord, he is God. There is no other besides him. Out of the heavens, he let you hear his voice to discipline you. And on earth, he lets you see his great fire, and you heard his words from the midst of the fire, because he loved your fathers. Therefore, he chose their descendants after them, and he personally brought you from Egypt by his great power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is today. Know therefore today, and take it to your heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other So, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am giving you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So there's law and grace mixed up in there, isn't it? God says, no idols, no idols. I'm a jealous God. I will remove you from the land, and yet I will not forgive my covenant. I will be compassionate. But in the end, he again reiterates that he is the one to be worshipped. So there, a strong prohibition of images, both of God and anything in worship. John 4.24. John 4.24, the woman at the well. And what are they talking about? They're talking about the temple. They're talking about worship. They're talking about Jerusalem. They're talking about the center of Israelite idolatry. The the Israelites had made an idol of the temple, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, right? They, They were in awe of the stones of the temple rather than thinking upon what God himself had said when Solomon set up that temple. Right, but here, here they're, they're speaking of worship, and, and, and Jesus says to, her, to this woman, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And what's truth? The word of God. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit, right? By the work of the spirit, spiritually, and in truth, by the means of the word of God, okay? And so here again is is the the commending of of a spiritual worship and not an external forms and idols and images. And it's in the New Testament. Now, Romans 1. Turn to me to Romans 1. I only have 17 more points. Okay? Romans chapter 1. Where is that book? 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, 
and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Okay, unbelievers make an exchange, don't they? They exchange the glory of God for what? For images, for things that can be handled and touched and tasted and seen and bowed down to. That's what unbelievers do. But, but it's, it's an exchange. That's my point here. You're giving up one glory for a lesser glory, the glory of the creation. Okay? The glory of God is exchanged for something created, something earthly, something, um, something made with wood, stone, and clay, and metal. 1 Corinthians 11, and perhaps this is the best argument, because this is the positive command for symbols and images in worship. Okay? We have been given, we have been commanded by God to have two visual reminders in worship. The bread and the cup. And those are wonderful images, right? But what do we do with those things? So 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, right? For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so there are those two symbols, those two created things, right? Wine, bread, the cup. And bread. And so, um, what do we do with those symbols? Do we hang those symbols on the wall of the sanctuary? No, we eat them. That's also commanded in Scripture, right? We eat these symbols. And when I fence the table up here, do I lift those up so that you may venerate them? No. We don't do that. The Roman church does that. Okay? We hold them because they're ordinary elements. They're symbols. They're signs. They're sacraments. Right? And, and what do we do with those? We do not hang them on the wall. If we did hang them on the wall, what would we do? Absolutely, we would turn them into idols. You may not, but I would. Okay? I wouldn't let the kids mess around with the hanging cup of, of grape juice and the body on the wall of the church. Okay? But these symbols have been given to us by God. They're good. They're commanded. They're explicit. And in taking them, there's, they're a real means to grace, right? We, 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 we are fed on the body and the blood of Jesus spiritually. And so these are more than, more than symbols. These are sacraments. But nonetheless, they are symbols. The broken body, his wounds, the shed blood, the shedding of the blood. These symbols, we, so there's that. Now, some history. Those are my biblical arguments. Section two. Icons and iconoclasm. 
There's always been sort of a back and forth in the history of the church. Icons, and then the iconoclasts come around to destroy all the icons. Well, the, the uh, second Nicene conv- um, ecumenical council of 787 was the ecumenical council that made images legit. 787 uh, defended the uh, veneration of idols based upon very strange verses of Scripture. Um, some of those verses, if you want to go look them up, are Z, uh, Exodus 25.19, Numbers 7.89, Hebrews 9.5, Ezekiel 41.18, and Genesis 31.34. Here's what they concluded. Here's the conclusion of the Second Ecumenical Council of Nicaea, 787. As the sacred and life-giving cross is everywhere set up as a symbol, so also should the images of Jesus Christ, the Virgin Mary, the holy angels, as well as those of saints and other pious and holy men be embodied in the manufacture of sacred vessels, tapestries, vestments, etc., and exhibited on the walls of churches, in the homes, and in all conspicuous places, by the roadside and everywhere to be revered by all who might see them. For the more they are contemplated, the more they move to fervent memory of their prototypes. The more they are venerated, the more you worship the one behind the image, is what they say. There's nothing new under the sun. These are the same arguments that we make about a cross on a wall. It helps me worship God, right? I've made those arguments. And so... um, And so, but you notice the first one they mentioned, the cross. The cross along with images of Jesus, along with Mary, along with angels. Well, Calvin responds to the Nicene, um, Second Ecumenical Council of Nicaea. And he says this in the Institutes when he's talking about images and images in worship. Everything, therefore, that I have said regarding images is in danger of suffering great prejudice from the authority of this synod. To confess the truth, however, I am not so much moved by this consideration as by a wish to make my readers aware of the lengths to which the infatuation has been, has been carried by those who had a greater fondness for images than became Christians. John, deputy of the Eastern churches, said God created man in his own image and thence inferred that images ought to be used. Genesis 3, 2. And thence inferred images ought to be used. He also taught there was a recommendation of images in the following passage. Show me thy face, for it is beautiful. Another, in order to prove that images ought to be placed on altars, quoted the passage, no man, when he has lighted a candle, puts it under a bushel. In short, Calvin says, their absurdities are so extreme that it is painful even to quote them. What the reformers were dealing with was a Roman Catholic church that had been teaching people that pictures and idols and things set up in which to venerate were called books for the uneducated. Okay? Those who couldn't read would be taught through images. And so they'd come in and they'd have like the stations of the cross. They would have the 12, the lives of the apostles. And that would be their means of, of teaching these things, right? And so instead of doing what the Puritans did, 
which is teach people how to read. They just made more and more idols to teach people, right? Even though God had clearly forbidden the worship of idols. The Puritans, the early American Puritan culture, was one of the most literate cultures of all time. And why? Why? Because they wanted them to know the word of God. Why do you think the early reformers and the pre-reformers translated the scriptures like Tyndale? Right? So the plowboy could know as much as the priest in the, up in his high and mighty. Right? It was the word of God that was important. It was the center of the worship of God's people. It was the word of God that was to take center. And so the Puritans taught people to read. They translated the scriptures. Um, where do we learn of God? Where do we learn of God? In his word alone. In his word alone. Right? You cannot get information that is dependable about God from any image, any created thing. Um, Galatians 3.1 Paul says to the Galatians, who were not at the crucifixion, he said, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Why does he say that? He says that because he was there preaching the gospel. Others were coming in preaching a false gospel. He said, Don't pay attention to that. And he refers back to it now as the public portrayal of the crucifixion of Jesus. In what? In a cross they built in the church? No. In the preaching of God's word. In God's word communicated. I mean, um, Paul testifies that by the true preaching of the gospel, Christ is depicted before our eyes as crucified. By the preaching of the gospel. It's depicted before our eyes as Christ crucified. Right? What purpose did it serve for so many crosses of wood, stone, silver, and gold to be erected here and there in churches if this fact had been duly and faithfully taught that Christ died on the cross to bear a curse, to expiate our sins by the sacrifices of his body, sacrifice of his body, to wash them by his blood, in short, to reconcile us to God the Father? From this one fact, they could have learned more than from a thousand crosses of wood. This is Calvin. From that one fact, they could have learned more than a thousand beautiful, ornate crosses or or chintzy little flimsy white ones. For perhaps the covetous fixed their minds and eyes more tenaciously upon gold and silver than upon the word of God. And that's the real point, isn't it? Do you know that the Puritans' um, architecture was pretty severe? It was pretty uh, cut and dried. They had three elements in their sanctuaries. They had a pulpit, a communion table, and seats. <laughs> right? Pulpit, communion table, and seats. And, and do you know that... Um, well, this is from uh, Davies' excellent book on the worship of the American Puritans. He said this, Chief among the Puritans' considerations was the insistence on biblical obedience, making the pulpit the throne of God's word in Scripture. That is why the pulpit dominated the meeting house throughout its history. 
and why the Bible resting on a red or green velvet cushion was the focal point, here the message of God was expounded on the Lord's day to the Lord's elect and covenanted people. The central position of the pulpit and Bible demonstrate that the people of God are created by listening to the revelation of God confirmed in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. While preaching was important in the Church of England, what did the Church of England do in their sanctuaries? The preach, the, the word was preached from the side, and what was front and center? The altar. While preaching was important in the Church of England, Holy Communion was even more important, which is why the altar was central and the lectern and pulpit placed on the side in Anglican churches. Puritans wished to express the primacy of the word over the sacraments of the word. The primacy of the word over the sacraments of the word. Now, now the Puritans had the table, but it was not an altar. It was a common, common table, right? It was a wooden common meal table, okay? Center, and the pulpit was center above that. So, um, visit churches in this presbytery. And you will see a common table, a pulpit that's sometimes high, and no crosses. Not all the churches you visit. Some you'll see, you know, in the PCA, you'll see pictures of Jesus up front. That's wickedness. It's terrible. Okay? But if you go to many of the Presbyterian churches in this Presbytery, you will find that there aren't crosses. There aren't, um, there, there's, there's a plain... Um, background. Uh, okay. Shall I go to the Heidelberg Catechism? Shall I go to the BCA? Shall I quote from Bucer, who mentored Calvin? I mean, I have all these things here, but you're getting fatigued. I'll finish with the pastoral reasons. Okay? We live, and this, this to me is, is the biggest. We live in a visually and and virtually idolatrous age. We live in a visual society unlike any society that has come before us. We drive to the countryside and there are billboards with pictures of people seducing us. In the middle of nowhere, right? Images everywhere. We go to the bathroom in a restaurant and there are pictures there, so we're entertained while we go to the bathroom, right? We sit on our computers and we commit adultery virtually without leaving our homes. I mean, there are images everywhere. We can't get around images. It's so easy to make them. It's so easy to, to, um, to populate them. And so, and so it's a uniquely parallel time to the Reformation, isn't it? It's uniquely parallel because images were everywhere in that society as well. They just happened to all be inside of the churches. Right now they're, now they're everywhere. And what that does is numb us to the power of images and symbols. It just numbs us. We, we can't compute them. We don't know what effect they have. They're so pervasive. We have no idea what they're doing to us. We have no idea what it means when we look at the muscles of an athlete in an advertisement. Because we've done it a million times, but what it's doing, it's making you lust 
It is making you lust, men. You want those muscles. That's what images do. Images are uniquely powerful in doing that. And so we're uniquely parallel to the time of the Reformation. And so we need to think about images. We need to think about the second commandment. We need to think about what this means for our worship. Um, Calvin said our hearts are idol factories, right? Right there at the front of the Institute's. And indeed, that is the testimony of Scripture. Look at Israel. Look at Israel. They're constantly going after foreign gods and images. Constantly. And then what what are we commanded in the New Testament? What does John end his epistle with to the churches? He said, little children, guard yourself from idols. Guard yourself from idols. Why? You have the word of God. You don't need anything else. The cross, again, these are pastoral reasons why I um, think it biblical to do what the elders and deacons did today. The cross, in particular, bids our imagination to make images of Jesus. The cross particularly does that. It particularly does that for me. If I asked you, 90% of you would say there is a cross in the sanctuaries to remind us of Christ's death. And that is absolutely wrong, first of all. There's an empty cross in the churches to remind us of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, and so it's not about the death, but what we do is we imagine Jesus on that cross, which is a violation of the second commandment, which is an application, right, that I said came out of the shorter, or larger catechism. Right? It, that's what I do. I am confessing my sins before you. That is what I do when I see crosses. I am so thankful for the past five years that I've had my back to it. Those who have trouble with idols, those who have trouble with images, call them the weak. You remove stumbling blocks for the weak. You remove them. There is, a other, there is another place where we have a cross displayed, right? On our sign out front. It does not bother me. It's not at the central focal point of, our, of where we worship the Lord. It, it is different. It is in a different category, different class. But if it does bother you, we will happily remove it. It is different, though. It is information. It is not being worshipped. It is not at the central, middle place of our sanctuary. Okay, does the... Now, think of this. Does the cross add anything that is lacking in the Word of God? Does the cross in a sanctuary add anything that is lacking in the Word of God? Is the Word of God sufficient? Is it all you need for your faith and practice? In it is Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified. In it is the treasures of wisdom, right? Is there anything added by having that cross in the sanctuary other than sentimentalism? No, it only distracts. The word of God is sufficient. It is all we need. It is what we are called to give our attention to. 
in, in, uh, in worship. And think of this. Think of this. I believe that this will be a powerful moment in Reformation if the church starts speaking seriously about images and idols and symbols. I think we have to talk about this. This is part of the sin that's rampant in our society. And it's part of us speaking God's truth into that society is to waken people to what is hindering them, to awaken them by the law of God. And so let's remove what hinders, or let's remove what potentially hinders. All of this, and I'll I'll stop here. Idolatry is hated by God. He is a jealous God. Let's not provoke him to jealousy. He will be worshipped by his means, and the means he has given us is his word. He will be worshipped. It's not about what you require. It's not about what you need. It's about what God has called us to and what God has given to us. And, 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 and in bringing, in, in removing images, no matter how insignificant or no matter how important you think they are, in removing them, the, the benefit will be a focus on the Word of God. That is the history, that is why images weren't in Reformed churches. That's why crosses weren't in Reformed churches. And indeed, that is the testimony of Scripture in these passages I've read you. Now, 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 dear people, be, this is a monologue tonight, not a dialogue. Be good Bereans. Search the Scripture, but do not come back to me and say, yeah, but I like it. Don't do it. Search the scriptures and correct me if I'm wrong. Okay? And I will repent. And I will change course. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we bow down before you in the mind, in, in the, the knees of our heart, bow before you. And Lord, we worship you. We thank you that you have given us your word. It is a treasure, and in it we learn the most glorious truths. It is clear. It is powerful. It is sufficient. It is wonderful. It is pure. It is eternal. And so, Lord, I pray that you would free us up from our bondage to idols, to images, to symbols. And Lord, that we'd be free from this, to focus on your word, to give our attention to to what is true and what is inspired, and not to the things of this earth and the things made by the hands of men. Father, we pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.